the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Good evening, and welcome to tonight's Andrea K Show. It is Taco Tuesday. Um, yeah, we still don't have a sound effect for Taco Tuesday. Of all the days, we really need a sound effect for Taco Tuesday. I know. Yeah, and, and particularly since before the show, you know, we actually kind of lost track of the days and really weren't quite sure what day of the week it was. So when we got a day as important as, as, important as Taco Tuesday, we need to ha- make sure we've got good recognition in the form of a good soundbite. Okay, so um, it is day one of jury deliberations for the Kyle Rittenhouse case, and it is a we are on trial watch. I've got, of course, my favorite legal analyst, Wendy Patrick, who you can hear every uh, Saturday here uh, on The Answer San Diego, by the way, will be here to bring uh, her amazing on-point legal analysis here. And, you know, you can count on it being straight up objective legal analysis here. And we need that because there was a major trending story today on Twitter that I could not verify. And it's really sending shockwaves with a hashtag mistrial uh, is reverberating. So we're going to talk about that. We also have breaking news in the middle of this Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Did y'all know there was a major whistleblower that came forward today from the Department of Justice? Yeah, we're going to talk about that. In fact, I'm going to open the show with this because we, as I've been saying for a long time now, for years, about the power that's being amassed from Congress into the Department of Justice and from uh, our legislative branch, as well as from our executive branch into the, the Department of Justice. Um, we are all Michael Flynn now. That's really where the battle is. Uh, that's where the weaponized deep state is punishing and persecuting Americans. And uh, this, the two stories are really tied together. So stay tuned for Wendy at 615 to talk about, uh, give you analysis on the Rittenhouse trial today. And we're going to open the show in a moment with the whistleblower case. 888-344-1170. Of course, we've got breaking news also as well and what's happening with the shot mandates. We're going to give you guys all the latest in uh, on, on those news as well. 888-344-1170 if you want to chime in. If you want to give me a prediction on uh, how this jury is going to if they if you think they're going to come back with a verdict tomorrow and what you think it's going to be I'd really I'm really interested I never predict jury outcomes because it's always uh, you know if I could predict jury outcomes Casey Anthony would be in prison okay for kill, killing little Kaylee um but I want to hear from you if you feel really confident because a lot of people do we're going to pose this question to Wendy Patrick as well coming up and I might pose that question to my numero uno dude here in the studio with me of course I'm talking about DJ Potato Skins. We have a gentleman. I view it this way. Anything that potentially can help, and that certainly can potentially help, is a good thing. DJ Potato Skins. DJ Potato Skins. And as uh, pointed out by our esteemed general manager, uh, something that definitely helps is a nice, spicy Popeye's chicken sandwich. Although they are not a sponsor of the show, maybe they should be. Well, yeah. I mean, we're not going to give free advertisement to to Popeye's. But it is good. Yeah. 
They, they they used to have a commercial running saying, uh, there's a party in my mouth going on here. Did you have a party in your mouth? When oh, you all did- kinds of parties, Andrea. All right. Uh, well, we'll see if there's going to be a party on behalf of the Rittenhouse uh, family tomorrow. I, I'm going to save most of my analysis for that after the first break with Wendy Patrick, legal analyst. I do want to tell you guys this. Um, there, Jack Posobiec, who formerly, I guess, was with One American News. He now does a, a show with Human Events Daily uh, or um, an on at uh, streaming. I don't know how he does. It. I don't know if it's actually on cable news or what have you. He's also daily on uh, Steve Bannon's War Room. Uh, He tweeted out today, and I'm going to quote, I posted uh, the tweets on uh, my socials. Um, I am just to make you guys aware of it. I have not been able to corroborate um, this. Uh, He he tweeted out that according to a U.S. marshal, two of the jurors were holding out on a verdict because they were scared for their lives, basically. Um, He went on to say. I want to read these tweets to you guys. Two jurors holding decision up, outright citing backlash per U.S. Marshal in Kenosha. Uh, More, uh, they're worried about media leaking their names, what will happen to their families, jobs, etc., including doxing threats from anarchist groups. I don't know how Jack Posobiec would know. I don't know who this U.S. Marshal is. I don't know why a U.S. Marshal would be leaking jury deliberations. This has been trending all afternoon on Twitter, as well as uh, then people, you know, started the hashtag mistrial um, because, you know, um, all the implications being. I, I don't know why Jack Posobiec, if Jack Posobiec, and, and I immediately said, cooperation, please. Who is this U.S. attorney? Where, where did you get this information? He never provided any information to it. And that's disappointing. If, if he can't provide cooperation to this, um, it's, it's not a good look for Jack Posobiec. And I cannot verify this be true. The implication, if you've got two jurors um, holding out because they're worried, would imply that the entire jury was ready to come back with a not, not guilty uh, verdict here and these two held it up because they were concerned for their life we do know that it's reasonable for jurors to be concerned we know oh, sure. that, we know that they were videotaped uh getting onto getting into a vehicle that so we know that the we know that uh, they have been identified supposedly that video was taken down as though we as though we don't know that this jury has already been uh, every one of them has been identified and that the left doesn't know their their addresses we know that the judge himself received emails threatening his children uh, George Floyd, his nephew, uh, has threatened these jurors. These jurors should have been sequestered, and um, they're right to be concerned. I don't know that I, I buy this at all. I'm going to pose this question to uh, Dr. Wendy Patrick when she's here. There was also some, uh, the jury, I did, what I did find interesting was the jury did ask for pages, I believe, one through six of the jury instructions. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what Wendy Patrick, 25 years as a prosecutor, what Wendy, there's a lot of legal pundits out there. You're about to hear from one in a moment who actually has been prosecuting cases for 25 years. So she will be here to weigh in on that. All right. So. A major whistleblower, major whistleblower in the Department of Injustice has come forward Uh, to refresh your memory. You all know that uh, parents were um, accused of being domestic terrorists after showing up at school board meetings. Right. We know that a dad was actually arrested because he was there not to protest CRT in the classrooms, but because this school board in Loudoun County 
covered up and hid the rape of his daughter and then sent the dude who wore a skirt into her bathroom to another school district who then perpetrated another assault crime. After all these school board meetings were happening and and, uh, parents were coming and and expressing themselves, the National Teachers, uh, you know, group sent a letter to the the, uh, White House and demanding that these, these parents be dealt with. Merrick Garland was brought before a congressional committee, which is meaningless to me these days. But anyway, he was brought before a congressional committee, avoiding answering a lot of questions about whether or not there was any truth that the FBI and the DOJ were considering parents domestic terrorists and actually including them in a counterterrorism um, organization or task force, if you will. Well, of course, he avoided the question. Well, of course he did. He deflected because that's exactly what's been going on. A whistleblower has come forth with documents that prove that very allegation. And so a letter was sent out today from a Judiciary Committee of the House of Representatives. I don't usually read anything on air, but you need to hear exactly. I, I need to read this so you can really understand what's happened here. Uh, Dear Attorney General Garland, to put it nicely, alleged Attorney General Alleged in, in, in the sense of actually performing in that duty. You testified that the Department of Justice and FBI were not using federal counterterrorism efforts to target concerned parents at local school board meetings. We are now in receipt of a protected disclosure from department whistleblowers showing that the FBI's counterterrorism division is compiling and categorizing threat assessments related to parents, including a document directing FBI personnel to use a specific threat tag to track potential investigations. This new information calls into question the accuracy and completeness of your sworn testimony. It, it, it call into question. Call him a liar. Say the truth here that this attorney general came and lied before Congress. They just arrested Steve Bannon, right? Who actually didn't break any law but for contempt of Congress because he didn't bother to show up to ignore a subpoena that he is not legally required to to observe, according to Alan Dershowitz. This guy shows up and lies to Congress. Who was the baseball player, Mr. Baseball Nut? who came to talk about steroid use on his own volition, and then they found that he that he didn't tell the truth, and then he spent six months in a pokey? This dude has been, uh, is the front, who's been leading the attorney general, because it goes on. Specifically, you testified that you could not imagine any circumstance in which the Patriot Act would be used in the circumstances of parents complaining, yada, yada, yada. Um. Later in the meeting, however, you were, oh, then they talk about how he's not answering questions. It goes on to say, we have now received a disclosure from a department of whistle, uh, department whistleblower, um, um, an email dated October 20th, the day before your testimony and sent quote, on behalf of the FBI's assistant director of the counterterrorism division and the assistant director for the criminal division and the email in that email. It referenced your October 4th directive to the FBI to address school board threats and notified FBI personnel about a new threat tag created by the counterterrorism and criminal divisions. The email directed FBI personnel to apply this new threat tag to all investigations and assessments of threats specifically directed against school head administrators, board members, teachers and staff. 
Uh, it goes on to talk about how uh, this email called for effective engagement with law enforcement partners at all levels. This means down at your local level in your local community. It goes on. This, this disclosure, wrapping up here, provides specific evidence that the federal law enforcement operationalized and counterterrorism tools at the behest of counterterrorized, uh, operationalized counterterrorism tools at the behest of a left-wing special interest groups against concerned parents. We know from public reporting the National School Boards Association coordinated with the White House prior to sending the letter dated September 29th to President Biden labeling parents as domestic terrorists, urging the Justice Department to use federal tools, including the Patriot Act. And just five days later, via October 4, you sent a memorandum directing the FBI and other departments to address a purported da 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 and you know the rest. I don't even uh, we couldn't the Trump administration couldn't even have an attorney general actually deal with actual crimes being committed within his own department. But here we've got under the Biden administration an attorney general acting on behest of a teachers association to go and treat American citizens as domestic terrorists because they dared to exercise their First Amendment rights and show up at a school board meeting as taxpayers who are footing the bill and dare to challenge them on the indoctrination and the child abuse happening in our schools. This is why it mattered that in the Trump administration, that those in the, in the Obama administration and in the FBI and in the CIA and beyond who used our intelligence agencies in the course of the coup attempts and the use of the FISA courts and beyond and on uh, the to weaponize the FBI and the DOJ at that time against Trump administration and anybody in a circle. This is why it mattered that somebody actually be held accountable, that they weren't enabled them and, em, and emboldened them to now turn their sights on all Americans. We are all Michael Flynn. We are all every one of these teachers that is being, uh, you know, accused of being as a, a domestic terrorist. We're all got a threat tag on us. And so does Kyle Rittenhouse. Do you see what's happening here? So does everyone who's in the gulag who was around the Capitol on January 6th. God bless this whistleblower. May he uh, be protected and have his identity protected just like Eric Chimarellis was protected. Colonel Chalfie Vinman, he was just the front man for that whistleblower. The real whistleblower, Eric Cimarelli, who had ties to the Biden administration at the time, he was actually ties to the Obama administration and now the Biden administration. In fact, he, you know, uh, you know, was was completely protected. And that should happen for this person as well. We're going to take a break. When we come back. We're going to bring in uh, Wendy Patrick. We're going to discuss the haps today. On uh, the Rittenhouse uh, jury deliberations. Stay tuned. Get more from the Andrea K. Show at ourfreenation.org. Just search Andrea K. Spelled K A Y E. You're listening to somebody who tells it like it is. Andrea K. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. You know who else tells it like it is? 
my girl Wendy Patrick, legal analyst, best in the business. Because when you when you hear from Wendy, you know you're getting objective analysis, and that's what we need right now, right? That's so much what the world needs. Uh, I told you guys at the open of the show that Jack Posobiec, who I, I respect so much, tweeted out today that according to a U.S. marshal, that two jury two jury members were holding up uh, the uh, verdict out of fear of being doxxed, which would imply that all twelve jurors were ready to come back with a not guilty, but for fear. That has not been corroborated. I wanted to make you guys aware of that. I have not found any substanti- substantiation, substanti- corroboration to it. It hasn't been substantiated, babies. Um, but uh, they did uh, finish uh, deliberations and went home for the day. Joining me now to continue the discussion is the aforementioned Wendy Patrick herself. Hi, my dear. Thank you for being here. Always a pleasure, Andrea. I want to start with a couple of things. Um, so the jury... Um, was began deliberations today and it wasn't long before outside within earshot uh there were protesters outside of the jury room where they were deliberating i for the life of me cannot figure out why this judge did not sequester this jury can you you know sequestration is a last resort uh, it is so disruptive to a juror's life i mean they can't see their family they can't see their friends they can't go anywhere do anything all their meals are provided it is a very severe Uh, I almost feel like saying the word sanction. That's not what it is. It's a precaution. But it's one of those kinds of remedies that's only available in the more extreme circumstances. Remember, we did it in Derek Chauvin, Andrea. You and I probably talked about this on your show. Um, As of yet, it has not been necessary in the eyes of the judge, who obviously would be the one that would be uh, making that decision. But you're right. I mean, the rest of us are on verdict watch. Those jurors are working, and they shouldn't be working an environment that is coercive, oppressive, even yeah. threatening in yes. nature, as you point out. You know, can you just imagine them trying to calmly and coolly deliberate the facts of the case while the chanting escalates outside? Uh, you know, if anything, maybe they should be deliberating in some secret place, um, but sequestration would be one step ahead of that. Let's see what the judge does if, in fact, a juror, if, in fact, the verdict doesn't come back tomorrow. Another thing that uh, was of note today is that people were horrified uh, that he allowed the judge um, a certain number of, of jury of jurors needed to be released today as part of the process. And so he allowed Rittenhouse to basically pull uh, names out of a hat. And a lot of people were horrified by this. And uh, his response was, is that that's just been the procedure for 20 years. Did you have a problem with that? Well, all they're doing is whittling down the 18 jurors to 12. And what the judge did is basically allow Kyle Rittenhouse himself to to choose the bingo numbers, as we say. I certainly have not seen it done that way before, but I can tell you that jurisdictions do it differently. Um, there's always an, a, a way in which alternates are selected. Now, the jury instruction to begin with, the, the selection in this trial was really fast. And I know a lot of, I mean, you and I cover trials and it takes like weeks to pick mm-hmm. a jury. That wasn't the case here. So this jurisdiction definitely does it differently. But remember, Andrea, even though uh, Mr. Rittenhouse himself had a, he basically was the one that separated the, the main jurors from the alternates, they all heard and saw the same evidence. So all of them were privy to the same witnesses, the same video. So all of them, in a sense, should be able to make a good decision. 
And also remember, Andrea, if you do substitute an alternate, they're supposed to start deliberations anew. So there's yeah. nothing missed when you substitute an alternate. Right. Um, but yes, and a lot of people were talking about that all day today. They've just not seen it done that way before. Right. Well, you know, I found it, I found it kind of uh, more horrifying, the fact that the left was more horrified by that than they were to see a district attorney hold up the rifle that was used and point it at a jury with his finger on the trigger. Wendy Patrick, I mean, uh, your thoughts on that? Well, most courtrooms don't allow certain types of, of displaying weapons that might be uh, might make a juror fearful or uncomfortable or uh, might in any way influence the verdict. So, you know, those types of things you have to believe or run past the judge to begin with. You know, we seem to be doing a lot of talking about the judge's rulings as well as his colloquial comments on breaks. Um, but those kinds of things have to be pre-cleared. But, you know, we live in a day and age where that's a, that could be a trick. Pun intended. That is not the type of thing that many people would enjoy. Because think about this. Many, uh, one of the things that jurors have to decide is, was it a good idea for Mr. Rittenhouse to have an assault weapon in that crowd to begin with? Now, we all know that young people know how to shoot and they serve in the military, but that's not what we're talking about here. You heard the prosecutor describe it as bringing a gun to a knife fight, but not just a gun, an AR rifle. So, you know, that's one of the things the jury is considering in determining the reasonableness of Mr. Rittenhouse's actions. Now, another thing they're considering is not just his testimony, but the video. You know, a picture can be worth a thousand words. A video is priceless because remember how many times they were actually able to see the way that scene unfolded. Now, the prosecution wants to slow it down, so to speak, and say, look, he had the time to deliberate, to think, to turn around, to see how close people were. The defense wants to speed it up and say this was a split-second decision. He didn't have time to deliberate on much of anything. The jury is going to have to try as best they can to substitute their perception. But you can't, Andrea. Perception is personable. And the reasonableness of Mr. Rittenhouse's perception is the question they have to ask themselves. That's what this case hinges on. And do you... um... I know you don't like to, well, I mean, your thoughts. I mean, you know, um, I hate to put you on the spot here, and I don't know if you feel comfortable answering this question. For me, I saw every bit of the evidence, and I think it's hands down self-defense. And I think that's why the prosecution had to switch to provocation. That's why the DA had to lie in the closing. He had to put forth the the notion that you lose your self-defense when you bring a gun, which is absolutely not under the Constitution. I mean, that was absolutely outrageous. The defense should have objected at that point. I don't know that the the defense in his closing actually addressed that well enough. You know, I my understanding is that I do have that's the whole purpose of me being able to use a gun for self-defense is that I don't have to, uh, it doesn't have to be matched, right? I'm allowed to use my gun in the course of defending myself, even if the other person doesn't necessarily have a gun. Am I not? Well, right. But remember, it's more complicated than that now. That might have been uh, the, the winning argument if it was just one serious charge and then the acquittal. Remember, that was the O.J. Simpson case, one or nothing. Um, this is very different. Remember that the judge allowed lesser included offenses. What that means is there's a lot of different elements that are involved in those lesser included offenses, recklessness, um, different types of, of mindsets that might allow a conviction on a lesser charge with an acquittal on the main 
speed charge, which, of course, carries a life sentence. So that's a real challenge, and it's actually a, a risky strategy for both sides. On the one hand, if the prosecution already knew they wouldn't be able to prove the more serious charge, um, again, back to the O.J. Simpson example, that might have been something that they would want in order to get a conviction on something. But sometimes the defense would say, no, let's just keep it all or nothing, because maybe they believe reading the jurors, we haven't seen them, you can't film them, but reading the jury as they have every day, maybe they thought, look, they've already decided they can't prove the greater charge. So that's one of the reasons that, Andrea, I always predicted we were not going to have a, a verdict on day one of deliberation. There's just too much law. Well, however, yeah, it, it, uh, excuse me for interrupting before I forget. Getting back to my, my question, though, what, what Binger said was you lose your right to self-defense simply by bringing a gun. Is that is that remember true? Remember that that's a, no, that's an argument. What you were listening to is closing argument because remember, lots of people are armed. They're armed for self protection. Mm-hmm. They're states that allow you to carry in public. What both he and the defense attorney are doing is arguing their case. So they have, jurors have a law. And, you know, the law basically gives the elements of what they'd have to find to prove okay. the Rittenhouse guilty of a slew of offenses. But that was argument. You heard similar argument from the defense. In fact, you, you, you heard a lot of very colorful arguments on both sides. But that's what closing argument is for, is to basically tell the jury to try to persuade them that your theme, your version of the facts is correct. The, the law has already been stated, and the law sometimes is stated in such a dry fashion that most attorneys don't waste time on closing argument restating the law. The jurors already have that. They bring the law to life by arguing the facts. So that's what you were listening to on both sides. Well, um, in terms of the lesser included, I think the judge should afford. I, I wouldn't have let it in. I, I think I would have made them live and die by the fact that they overcharged this in first degree intentional murder, which it clearly was not. There was absolutely no evidence. Even if even if you think he he should have done something as stupid as the DA suggested and put his gun down and walk away, uh, or fire warning shots into the air, or um, you know, surrender to the mob. Or surrender, surrender to the, the mob. mob. I mean, you know, there was absolutely zero for intentional murder and I think they should have been forced to live and die by it and I think it would have been a little bit easier uh, for him to him to completely walk as he should which is what happened with George Zimmerman right they overcharged that and he, and he walked away um, in this case there was in, in this case there was instructions that made it that fast tracked it for them if they found that he acted in self defense against the first charge then they didn't have to go to the second lesser and, and argue at that point it was already done Well, in a case like this, the reason you do have those lessers is in many cases the evidence comes out differently than either lawyer or the judge predicted. So it's in cases like this where everybody's a bit surprised at the way it shook out in the courtroom that you do have the option of instructing on lessers. But you're also correct that some of the elements are the same. And, you know, as you might imagine, if if somebody were to, to convict on the greater charge, then you would imagine they also would have had to have found all the rest of the charge is true too. So it gets complicated, but it is also the case that self-defense, one way or another, is going to be the issue of the day that they're deliberating. You can imagine that's true no matter what charge they're talking about. Yeah, because they asked for pages one through six, which I believe were specific to the self-defense, which would be fast-tracked. The jury did give the instructions that if they found him not guilty of the greater charge, then that basically wiped away 
um, the the lesser charge that they could immediately say, okay, well, not guilty on on the the lesser, and do that by all five counts. So, what do you make of the jury's the jury asking uh, pretty much immediately for pages one through six? That they were, they're very, the judge really impressed upon them, and they're also very conscientious of doing a good job and doing their job right, not succumbing to the the chance outside or the public pressure or the doxing threats. But they asked for exactly what they should be looking at, pages two through three of those instructions, those focused on self-defense and provocation, just like you said. Page four focused on those crimes that required intent to kill, and then, of course, five and six were on the the count of first-degree reckless homicide. That's the way it's charged. So even the more serious count uh, really does comport with the way the evidence originally looked would be the argument. The lesser comport more with the way the evidence actually came out in the courtroom. Remember, Andrew, it was the prosecutor's first witness that talked about Mm self-defense. So this has been a case where you can imagine behind the scenes the strategy that went on. I would have loved to have heard some of that. But here we are now, and the jury is about to speak. They are going to, I think, within the next two days at least, render a verdict. And if they don't, it's maybe because there's one or two holdouts. They have the option of hanging, which Mm -hmm. would mean we go through this again. Yeah. Well, you know what? If I was on that jury and somebody, you know, refused to, I'd hang it. Because I watched every bit of this, and you know that I'm a straight shooter. You know I watch it all. I I had no dog in the hunt um, when I started watching this trial. <clears throat> I've watched every bit of the evidence, and to me, uh, it's not guilty all the way. And um, and I thought, and and I think that uh, the uh, clearly the prosecutor knew it, which is why um, he's lied, why he switched to provocation, why they introduced a. a a video or a picture that, uh, that, quite frankly, the judge should have not allowed in because he even said this could be grounds for appeal if the science doesn't hold up, and it didn't. Um, uh, it, so, well, in any trial, in any trial, both sides have to roll with the way the evidence comes out, and you know it's hard to to predict or it's hard to to backtrack and think what their strategy was going into it, except to take them out at their word in the motions they argued, in the in limine motions they brought, in the representations they made to the court. And and in the way they reacted to the way the evidence ended up coming out. So it was, you know, it's hard to try a case in front of a camera to mm-hmm. begin with. It's even harder where apparently there may have been some surprises from day one. Mm-hmm. So uh, our, our, I guess what we're looking at now is will there be any surprises tomorrow or will the verdict be as you predict? We'll see. Uh, and it, all eyes on uh, Kenosha at least uh, for the next few days. Wendy Patrick, thank you so much for being here. And y'all can listen to uh, Wendy every Saturday here at 6 p.m. today with Dr. Wendy. Thank you for being here, my dear. Thank you. All right, have a good night. Stay tuned. We got more coming up on the other side of the break. Don't go nowhere. Get more from the Andrea Kay Show at OurFreeNation.org. Just search Andrea Kay, spelled K-A-Y-E. AK, Dynamite and Address, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, she's on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. Oh, things were going to get back to normal. 14 days to flatten the curve, right, Skins? Then it was, you didn't need a mask. And then it was, no, 14, after 14 days to flatten the curve, we got to stop the spread, right? Then it went on to schools being shut down, lockdowns. Then you'll get your life back um, maybe down the road when we get a vaccine a year from now, Do right? Do you notice the shifting of goalposts, Constantly. Andrea? Then it was, well, we just got to get to herd immunity. 80% of people, if they get this shot, this shot's 90 
90-something percent effective. We just need 80 percent of Americans to get it, and then we'll get herd immunity. Then it was, oh, now you got to get a booster. You know, uh, it's booster, boost. you know, um, they're admitting now, even with the boosters, that you, even the supposed, I, you know why I'm struggling because I'm trying to not use the word vaccination or vaccinated. It's not. Because it's not a vaccination. If it was a vaccination, you wouldn't still be able to get it or give it. If it was, an, if it was a vaccination, you wouldn't, you wouldn't care whether or not anybody else got the shot. You wouldn't ever need a booster, right? These are not vaccinations. These are therapeutics. So Fauci comes out today and say the real key to this becoming an endemic versus pandemic. And so now we got even a new word, right? Now, it, just to get from pandemic to endemic, meaning it means it's never going to end. It's this is their their new normal. How we lived before, the plan is for that to be gone forever and permanently. And if it went from 14 days to flatten the curve to now you got to get boosters, that means it's going to be perpetual boosters because it's always going to be an endemic. And one of the reasons why is because, as Cheryl Atkinson put out this little hand-drawn thing where it was a diagram to where it says what it was supposed to be, which is a, uh, an arrow showing increase in vaccinations and then going up and then an arrow going down for COVID, it's now arrow going up of shots and arrow going up of COVID infections, Right. Anybody maybe think that the shots are the problem because you're injecting people with a spike protein, which makes their bodies create COVID with inside themselves? The highest um, population of vaccinated people over in Israel, and they're having catastrophic rates. Exactly. There is such a thing as natural immunity. By, oh, oh, not allowed to talk about that. This mandate... This mandate doesn't doesn't allow for any testing whatsoever for natural immunity. If the shots are supposed to create artificially immunity in you, why would natural immunity matter? And you and I have talked about on the show before for people that have already got that natural immunity, getting the shot is actually bad. Yeah, it's called pathogenic priming. There's a reason why this is the first time that in the history of, quote, vaccination development that they did not test This shot on rodents or other animals that had already had the virus. Convenient. Because animals in the past that already had a virus that got shot died. Somebody sent a FOIA request to the CDC Freedom of Information Act asking um, to uh, for documents, quote, reflecting any documented case of an individual who, number one, never received a COVID shot. Number two, was infected with COVID once recovered and then later became infected again and number three transmitted SARS-CoV-2 to another person when reinfected and in response from the CDC was we don't have any documents pertaining to that request because there's not an instance there's lots of uh, lots of data out there of you getting the shot and getting reinfected but they don't have one document to show one case of anybody who got covid got reinfected with it again and then gave it to somebody else natural immunity works hashtag science and they're suppressing that because none of this ever had anything to do with science never has been not since day one never this is 100 percent been about power 100 percent been about power and they never intend to release the grip on you 
Hopefully, we may get some relief in the courts. Last Friday, we had a federal appeals court um, rule um, that uh, put, a, 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 I guess it's called an injunction, an injunction or a stay. To stay the mandate. Uh, they, they, uh, a stay on the mandate. And here's a part of their ruling. We next consider the necessity of the mandate. The mandate is staggeringly overbroad, applying to two out of three private sector employees in America in workplaces as diverse as the country itself. The mandate fails to consider what is perhaps the most salient fact of all. The ongoing threat of COVID-19 is more dangerous to some employees than to other employees. All else equal, here comes an example, a 28-year-old trucker spending the bulk of his workday in the solitude of his cab is simply less vulnerable to COVID-19 than a 62-year-old prison janitor. Likewise, a naturally immune unvaccinated worker is presumably at less risk than an unvaccinated worker who has never had the virus. The list goes on, but one constant remains. The mandate fails almost completely to address or even respond to much of this reality and common sense. I said from the beginning, one of the greatest hoax that they've put over on the American people is that everybody had an equal chance of getting it and everybody had an equal chance of dying from it. This is about collectivism. This is about forcing us to collectively submit to the will of the government. This is about communism. To the degree to where they know that children are at greater risk and are and are already uh, they're 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 trying to get out ahead of myocard myocarditis right because they know that there's been teen bo- young men as they're trying to push for five year olds to get the numbers. shot right uh, that myocarditis is a problem right teen young men and others have have not only been diagnosed with myocarditis which has anywhere from a twenty five to a fifty percent mortality rate by the way. They're now trying to get out ahead of it and tell, oh, that myocarditis, Popular Science put out an article last week. That myocarditis, why are y'all worried about that? That's no big deal. They're now actually even putting out reports that suddenly COVID babies just suddenly have greater heart problems. They're trying to convince you, number one, that myocarditis is no big deal, nothing to be concerned about. And they're trying to lay the groundwork that heart problems in babies are just a new trend happening Let's call it like it is. The, the death rate for myocarditis exponentially greater than for COVID itself. Less than 500 children died with COVID, let alone from COVID. And they're trying to convince you that myocarditis, because this is because this is killing people and will kill people, and particularly children who don't get it and don't give COVID. They're trying to lay the groundwork for you so, so that you succumb and you get your child jabbed and then suddenly they got heart problems that's, that it's no big deal or that it's just a factor that suddenly is happening with babies today. This is evil in our times. As Dr. Malone put it, the inventor of the mRNA uh, shot, the, vaccine, the, the mRNA vaccine, he said that this is a humanitarian crisis in the making. France stopped giving uh, these shots to anybody under 30. I think Japan did the same thing. Uh, there is, thanks to Skins, there's an article he gave me today. There's uh, lots of doctors and nurses uh, that are rejecting this and speaking out against it. I want to read you one. Dr. Eric Saunders, he's a veteran physician, and he was recently fired from the Valley Hospital in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Get this. Quote, my religious and medical exemptions were denied by them. I was born without legs. 
due to a pharmaceutical my mother took while pregnant with me. Both of my parents were ministers. My deep faith in God has helped me overcome many hurdles in life. But the psychological trauma of being injured by a pharmaceutical and knowing the potential controversy behind the science of COVID vaccines, I am not able to receive them. I am fighting and speaking out against these mandates, using my story to hopefully bring awareness so that uh, so they can be reversed and let freedom be restored to humanity so we can coexist in peace and love again. We're going to say it all says it all. We're going to take a break when we come back. I want to tell you guys a little uh, story that emerged about Rick Grinnell that and a little controversy surrounding him that I think you might find interesting. Uh, DJ Potato Skins, because a lot of people wanted him to throw his name in the in the hat uh, during the recall election. And now people are questioning whether or not they want to support Rick Grinnell going forward. Stay tuned. The Andrea K Show, strictly adhering to and preserving our First Amendment. Follow Andrea on OurFreeNation.org. Just search Andrea K, spelled K-A-Y-E. A-K, dynamite and address, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, don't call her fake news. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K Show. As we roll um, into uh, 2022, let's just say for the sake of argument that we actually have fair elections. We need to be thinking about if we're going to take our country back. Um, you know, we we obviously we support local activism. We want everybody out there that, to be running for office, particularly at even the smallest positions, because that feeds the state legislatures. Those are the ones right? that matter. They, well, they affect our lives on a daily basis. Local DA races, city councils, the water board, state legislatures, um, all the county supervisors, right? We saw massive victories a, a couple of weeks ago, and we need to continue that. We need to continue activism at the local level and also at the state level. That's one of the lessons from COVID is it's not just who's in Congress or who's in the White House that matters to your lives, right? So we got to be paying attention to those. Uh, and, and name recognition is everything. When the when the recall was happening here in California, a lot of people really wanted Rick Grinnell. And um, I initially really liked Rick Grinnell. And, I was one of them, too. Um, we were one of them. And then he decided he didn't want to run and because the word was is that it w- even if he won, it would be a rush and he would only be in for nine months. And I thought, what are you kidding me? You know, he wanted to know he wanted to take some time to do a full study of California. And it's like, if you don't have a sense of urgency, if you don't see the crisis we're in right now, bother. And, and you think that you've got time to wait, uh, you're already dead to me. Okay. Then um, there was a big dust up that's made a lot of news because um, he tweeted out uh, sharing some truth from CPAC that DC reporters won't acknowledge. He's trying to push out how friendly the Republican Party is to the transgender community. And he tweeted out from Gina Roberts, who I've met, who's a lovely individual, um, about how great CPAC was um, towards the, you know, transgender Republican log cabins. Um, It became very controversial. And here's my thing. Rick Rennell, we do want gay people in the LBGT community to vote Republican. We are a far better solution to this country for every American citizen than the Democrat Party. But that should not come at the expense of our platform. Okay, the Democrats don't change their position on abortion in order to court conservative voters. Okay, 
We do not need to become the party that advocates for transgenderism. It's it's wrong on so many levels. I don't even have the time to get into it. And it just goes to show the problem with the establishment that their idea of courting voters is to abandon the Judeo-Christian principles and conservative values that made this country great to begin with. You are a non-starter for me. And going forward, we need to reject anybody that's trying to turn us into Democrat Party light. This isn't about hating LBGT people. It's about loving this country and what it was founded on. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.